I want to talk with you guys this morning about, the, well this is actually, let me, let me preface this by saying, um, I've been praying about what I needed to preach on over the number, uh, last number of weeks and months, and the Lord has been just telling me week by week by week that He wanted me to just listen to Him week by week by week instead of planning out my sermons. Um, and that was very frustrating to me. And I wanted to just, you know, have something in concrete so that I knew that I knew that I knew. And the Lord was like, no, just listen. Just trust. I'll, I'll lead you. Um, but what He has given me permission to do is to begin preaching a What Is It series of sermons. And so starting this week, we'll be talking about what is it and talking about various topics. Because as Christians, number one, either you've heard it forever and you just know it. Or two, you're brand new and everyone thinks you should know it. Or three, you're not a Christian yet and you pretend and you should know it. Because if you're pretending, then we think you should know it. And then we all talk about you, these words, these terminologies, and we don't really know what we're talking about. So, I want to talk to you this morning about what is sin. And I wanted to ask you guys uh, some, uh, just to kind of do a poll, first of all. Um... If I said to you, blankety blank, 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 now knock it off. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't want to use the words because then I would get fired. But um, if I actually did that, was that a sin? How many, hand, show of hands. Is that a sin? Is it not a sin? Show of hands. Do you think it's not a sin? Hands with a blank, blank. Huh? What? <laughs> Okay. Well, we'll talk about that one in a second. Okay, but not not saying God's name at all in it. Not using Jesus or God in it at all. Charlene, you had your hand raised. Would depend with what my emotional level was. Okay, um, and I won't use specific words because that would be inappropriate. But you know, Christians who pepper their language with more than just biblical terminology. Of course, calling a donkey by the biblical name could be biblical talking, but you're usually not referring to a donkey when you're talking about that. <laughs> those of you old enough to understand because you've read King James, and those of you who don't, go home and read King James about Balaam's donkey. <laughs> okay? But let's move on to what uh, whoever it was, just I think it was Jenny said it, or no, maybe it was over here. If I cried out when I was either frightened or shocked, and I said, oh my God, have I sinned? If I was angry, frustrated, or upset, and I went, Oh my God! Have I sinned? If I decide to go out to the Two Rivers Lodge and spend a, a night having playing cribbage with Alma and some of the other people out there, and um, I'm offered a beer, and I say, Sure, and I drink the beer while I'm there enjoying company with uh, the friends in the community. Have I sinned? Depends. How do you have a depends in a, in a sin situation? It's either black or white. Either you are sinning or you're not. I don't, I don't agree with that. Okay. Sometimes it's in how someone else sees it. Interesting. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Sexual. Go ahead. Depends on your person. So, oh, so I can I can decide whether or not I'm sinning or not. I don't answer to a standard. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about this. Okay, what about if I am sexually active but not married? 
Is that a sin? What about if I am married and I'm engaging in mutual, consensual sexual activity with the person I'm married to? That's not a sin? What if I'm married to someone of the same gender? Is that a sin? What if I uh, am... God, if, what if I, let's go back to the going out and playing cribbage. What if it's Saturday night that I go out and play cribbage? Not drinking or anything, but I just go out and play cribbage with Alma and a bunch of other friends, and we play until 3.30 in the morning and it comes time for church, and I'm not the pastor, I'm just a lay person who comes to this church, but I'm just way too tired to get up Sunday morning, so I sleep in. Is that a sin? No, it's a bad <laughs> So in other words, I should, I should cause harm to my health. By making a right choice. Well, if I'm overly tired, I should just. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk. We're talking about what is a sin. Going out partying on Sunday afternoon after going to morning worship services. But is there any sin involved when I am desecrating the Sabbath, quote unquote? So, so there's, there's there's degrees. Okay, um, although we don't have this yet in our state, we do have the beginnings of it in our state. What if I were not as the pastor, of course, because that would be totally ever. But as you people, if you people decided that you're going to go to one of the villages that just opened up a new casino. And you were going to spend your weekend with your mad money. Not your rent money, but money you would have gone and played miniature golf with. You would have gone and... I understand. So there's, there's bingo. Is that a sin? Is it a sin for me to go and pay $5 for some pull tabs and possibly win $100 and give 10% to the church or even 50% to the church? Should the church even accept money that was won in that way? Because is it appropriate? Is it? See, see, I, I got all these people going. Ah. But see, we're all supposedly we're all supposedly sinners saved by grace, right? But we don't have this understanding or full, easily defined way to say what is sin. We're all going, it depends. It depends. Well, what if you're a person who's never heard the Christian message, who's never heard the gospel, who's never read the scriptures, and they see you doing something? Now we got issues. Let's, 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 let's stop. And I'm not trying to cut you off, but let's stop the discussion. Let's just start listening to some of the historical statements of what is sin. First of all, I was raised Roman Catholic, the ancient church, as opposed to the Orthodox Church, which is also the ancient church. Okay? But the reality is, of those of all the denominations on the face of the earth, the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox churches are the ones that go all the way back to the time of Peter. They can point their heritage all the way back. They can show you the, the lineage of the leadership. They teach that there are two types of sin. They teach there are mortal sins which will damn you to hell and there are venial sins 
which will cause you to have a disruption in your relationship with God. But if you die with a venial sin on your soul, you can be absolved of that sin through a time of perdition or purgatory where the sin is purged from you. Now, it's not our understanding or our theology, but it is a, vi- it is a viable and very much uh, active Christian theology that there are mortal and venial sins. So there are people in this community, if you say, I sinned, they would want to know what type of sin you did, what degree of sin. You did hear a little bit of that this morning in your, dis- in your responses. It depends. What do you mean it depends? It depends. Because you have to know what your heart is. You have to know what your attitude is. You have to- Were you angry? See, there's everybody has this... Anyway, we'll move on. This is what a Calvinist would tell you. Sin is a deviation from a perfect standard. Because you see the word that is translated into our English language, sin, that word is literally translated to miss the mark. So, deviating from the perfect standard, from the perfect mark, if you don't hit the mark every time, you've sinned. And in if you bring that into a logical conclusion then, the Calvinists would tell you, because I don't hit the mark perfectly every single moment of every single day, every single day I sin in thought or word or deed. And you will hear many, many Christians, especially those who listen to Moody Radio, which is uh, uh, KCR, uh, K, uh, KJNP. KJNP is Moody Radio, which their theology is Calvinist. Now, I'm not saying that, that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying what you're going to hear many, many Christians listening to all day long, all day long, all day long, indoctrinated, I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. That's not what we understand sin to be. But that's what you'll hear many Nazarenes across this country say, because they've not been properly taught the theology that we believe is the correct theology. Now, am I trying to say this is bad? or No, but I am saying there are many Christians who will tell you that because I cannot make a perfect standard all the time, I sin all the time. Susanna Wesley, who was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who was the wife of an Anglican minister who raised, I think, 14 children, 19 children. She had 20-something children, but some of them died. This was, the, this was the definition she gave her son John Wesley in a letter that she wrote to her son John. Whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off the relish of spiritual things, that to you is sin. I have that in my planner on my calendar every single day so that as the day goes by the Lord can bring it to mind to look at it and I try to memorize it I still haven't got it memorized whatever weakens your reason impairs your tenderness of your conscience obscures your sense of God takes off the relish of spiritual things that to you is sin I'm getting ready to change the slides so you almost got it take a picture of it yes I'm recording this it'll be on the it'll be on our website next week and it'll be on our website tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Because our website is back, thank Jesus. Yeah. Finally came back. How come there's what? Because our website's been down for about six weeks, eight weeks. 
Okay, John Wesley, the one whose mom told him what sin was, brought this into his theology. And this is what we teach as Nazarenes. A sin is a willful transgression of the known will of God. We choose to go against what we know God wants for us. That's the theological, that's the, that's the definition according to Wesleyan theology of what sin is. I don't disagree with that. I, it's not easy for me to express that to somebody in my day-to-day life. It's a willful transgression of the known will of God. If you're a Christian, they can understand that. But if you're not a Christian, they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about... Like his mortal and venial, or what about every day in thought, word, and deed? And what about, you know, and you have to get into this deep, deep theology stuff to help them to understand this. This is what our church says about sin. We took this simple little sentence about sin from John Wesley and expounded on it because that's what theologians do. And I didn't even, I don't think I included the whole thing. We believe that actual or personal sin is a voluntary violation of the known law of God. Do you hear Wesley in there? Voluntary violation, known law of God, by a morally responsible person. You see, if you can't understand that you've offended a deity, you can't be held responsible for your actions. It is not to be confused with involuntary and inescapable shortcomings. Do you hear that that depends coming out in this? infirmities, mistakes, failures, or other deviations from a standard of perfect conduct that are the residual effects of the fall. You see how we challenged the Calvinists in our definition of sin? Because we said, we understand sin to be when we choose to sin and we know we're not supposed to do it and we do it anyway. And we don't consider someone who can't be responsible before God to be held as a sinner. And we don't believe that as a Christian we should be held responsible for things that normal human beings do. Okay? For example, I've got a raging fever. It's 104.7. I've been sick for days. I'm miserable. And my child comes up and says, Daddy, 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 Shut up! Leave me alone! Did that person sin? They were being a normal human being with their frailties, their infirmities. They made a mistake. It was really inappropriate and they do need to go back and write the relationship. But was it a sin before God? I would say no. He didn't feel good. He didn't make a choice. He didn't think, you know what? I feel lousy and I'm going to make everybody else feel lousy around me so I'm going to yell at my kid. Do you understand? So this is what we in our article of five, this is article five in our Church of the Nazarene, we have 16 articles of faith, our theology, and this is article number five, what sin is. That's, how, how are you going to take that and talk about that over lunch at, at work somehow? It's almost impossible. This is what Paul said. Romans chapter 14, we don't have time this morning to go over the entire chapter 14, but it is amazing what chapter 14 it's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible Romans 14 Paul says everything that does not come from faith is sin and what he's talking about here is he says there are some people who think that every day I mean one day is more sacred than others 
other Christians think that every day is alike and it doesn't make any difference. You should live for God the whole time that you're on this earth. It doesn't make any difference about one specific day. Everyone should be fully convinced in his own mind and live according to his conscience. There are some of you who feel that you shouldn't eat meat because it's been offered to idols and that's terrible because it was offered to a demon. There are other people who go, that's good food and I'm going to enjoy it. Every single one of you should be fully convinced in your own mind. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. In other words, I would love to go to the bar tonight with you. Even if I'm only drinking Coke. And I know I'm not going to be there swearing or doing anything wrong. But inside I still feel bad. You do not go to the bar. Because if you do, you are sinning. Now, you didn't hear me say don't go to the bar. If God has called you to go with your friend out for a social evening so that you can minister to your friend and they choose to make that location where you do this in a bar, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mary's screaming inside going, my pastor's saying this? But the reality is the location, the location, location has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not your activity is sinful. You have to do what is right in your own eyes. If God has said, you go be with your friend tonight and you minister to them the love of Christ, and the location has to be the lodge, then so be it. But you better honor God in everything you do in there. You better be a light for Christ in there. You better not cross any lines, because if you bring a black mark on the church and on Christ, you're in trouble and you answer to God for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, sin is choosing to go against God's will. Now, if God has told you, in my case, you've heard this before, thou shalt not cross the threshold of a movie theater. That's Bob Sugden's thou shalt not from God. And I made a vow to God, I will not. When I first came into my ministry here, years ago, the movie The Passion came out by Mel Gibson. And there was a man in our community who came up and handed me a check for $150 and said, I want you to take all of the teens of this youth group to see the Passion of the Christ. I said, sure. And I started making all the arrangements. And the Lord was like, hello? What? You're going to go into a movie theater, Bob? But this is for you, God. I'm going to show them the gospel, God. This is a ministry for the children, God. Didn't you make a vow to me that you would never go across the threshold of a movie theater? Yeah, but this is for you. Didn't you say you would never do it? Yes, sir. Then what's up with the vow, Bob? I don't care if it's for me or not. Okay. So for me, because I can't do it in good conscience, I can't do it. Does that mean you can't go to a movie theater? Of course not. Only if God tells you you can't. There are certain things in the Bible that God has very clearly said we can't do. And you need to read those. So I'm not going to take time this morning to go through that. That would be a waste of our time. You can open up the Bible. You can read the black and white for yourself. But when it's gray, you need to listen to the Spirit of God talking to you, saying, this is my will for you. And if you cannot do it out of an assurance of faith, knowing that I've prayed about this and God has given me a green light, then you best not go in that direction. But if you have a green light, then don't worry about what anybody else says or thinks. Well, God, what are my people going to think if the pastor goes over to the Two Rivers Lodge and hangs out on a Wednesday night when they're playing cribbage? Well, they're going to think you're out there playing cribbage with your friends. Because, see, we get worried about what people think. We get worried about what our community thinks and the image that we present. 
and that's not necessarily what you need to worry about. You need to be worried about bringing honor and glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Period. Don't say worry about what your friends think or worry about what the community thinks or worry about how it's going to look. Do it all for the glory of God. And if you've prayed about it, and if God has not given you a no or not given you a red light, then go for it. Because he might have a significant purpose for you, the Christian, being in that room at that moment. Because it might be in that very moment you have the opportunity to say exactly the word that that person needs to hear so that that person can come to Christ. And they would never come into this church to hear that word, but they'll be in the bar Thursday night. But we can't go in the bar because we're Christians. That would be totally ungodly for me to go into a bar. That would be sinful. Not necessarily. This is what I like to use as a definition for sin. Now, I'm a Wesleyan in my theology, and I do understand and I hold to all of the stuff we talked about so far. But what I say is sin is anything that violates the law of love. God is love. And if I have God as my standard, then any time I willfully violate God, then I'm sinning. And we know from the scriptures that all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short, missed the mark, hamartea, missed the mark of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The question comes in, as a Christian, how much is too much. Because I don't believe, as a Wesleyan theologian, as a Wesleyan Christian, as a Wesleyan Nazarene person, I don't believe that I will never sin again while I'm on this earth. I believe I'm given the power by the Holy Spirit to not sin, but I don't believe that I will never sin again. You'll hear some people say, well, I've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, therefore I will never sin again. And that's not what, the, what sanctification is. Sanctification is being set apart for God, but it is still our choice to violate or to not violate the known law of God. So how much is too much? Well, now we have to start looking at the scriptures because, you know, I don't have them all memorized. So, James chapter 2. Turn with me. I'm going to be reading again out of the complete Jewish Bible. James chapter 2, verse 10. For a person who keeps the whole Torah, your Bible will say law, for a person who keeps the whole Torah, yet stumbles at one point, has become guilty of breaking them all. Hmm. So there isn't any necessary degree of sin. You see this idea of mortal versus venial? Some would kill you, some just get you a little bit of a punishment before you get to walk into heaven. The Bible clearly says, you break one point of the law, you're guilty before God. End of discussion. There is no better sins. There is no, this one's not so bad. There's no, well, if you have this problem, but not that one, then, you know, because this person raped somebody, that's much worse than me just lying. No. You're just as guilty, and you're going to go to hell just as quickly. Yes, ma'am. When it says Torah, that's what they're talking about. The first five books of the Bible. Now, that's... Yeah, I understand. 
And the reality is, it boils down to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31, that says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And if you're not, then you've got to question whether or not you're doing what you're supposed to do. Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at that one. First seven verses of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. So, talking about... Uh, I mean, talking to the children of God. So imitate God as his dear children and live a life of love, just as also the Messiah loved us. Indeed, on our behalf, he gave himself up as an offering, as a slaughtered sacrifice to God with a pleasing fragrance. Among you, there should not, listen to this, among you, there should not even be mentioned sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. These are utterly inappropriate for God's holy people. Also out of place are obscenity, stupid talk, coarse language. Instead, you should be giving thanks. For of this you can be sure. Every sexually immoral, impure, or greedy person, that is, every idol worshiper, has no share in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty talk, for it is because of these things that God's judgment is coming on those who disobey him. And don't become partners with them. See, there is a very clear black and white standard that God has laid out in his word. Sin is inappropriate, unacceptable, and will not go unnoticed. You break the law, period. You're guilty before me. And Paul is taking it even further, saying, there shouldn't even be a hint of sinful stuff in your life. That's what holiness is all about, folks. It's not just getting your fire escape ticket. Oh, I got out of jail because Jesus died for me and I can live my life however I choose because I got my ticket. That's not what this is about. We are entered into a life of relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. We live day by day, honoring God, bringing glory to God, trying our best to live for God, and we should live our lives in such a way that there isn't even a hint of evil anywhere near us. Does that mean you do not go into a sinful place? No. It does mean when you walk out you are still holy, pure, and clean in God's eyes. Let me give you a, a short example that I learned when I was in the Philippines. I had a friend who was in the military. I was on active duty. I was a carpenter. He worked in the liquid oxygen plant. Now, liquid oxygen is very, 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 very cold. It will literally burn you badly if it comes in contact with your flesh. During his training... His instructor told him to pass his hand through a vat of liquid oxygen. And he wouldn't do it. He was afraid. He knew it would burn his skin right off. And he was like, you can't be afraid of this stuff. And the instructor reached his hand down and threw some liquid oxygen at him. Literally lifted up some liquid oxygen out of the vat and threw it at him. He was like, ah! And it dissipated like this. Because... Its temperature rose instantly as soon as it got out of the vat and it turned into a gas again because oxygen is a gas. To turn it into a liquid, you have to make it cold, which slows down the molecules. So how was he protected when his hand passed through the liquid oxygen? Well, the hand is hotter than the liquid oxygen. And although you can't see it, 
There is a, an aura, if you will, a, a, a bubble of heated air around the hand. So as the hand quickly passed through the liquid oxygen, there was a bubble that formed around his hand that protected his hand from being burned by the liquid oxygen. So literally he wasn't picking up the liquid oxygen, he was pushing it ahead of his, of his hand with that little tiny bubble of air. Now had he put his hand in there and let it sit, that heat would have dissipated into the liquid oxygen and he would have fried his hand. But by passing it through quickly, he was protected because of the bubble of heat. Now, bring this into the spiritual realm. You are a holy Christian because of what? The blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life. You can walk into a sinful place and not be harmed and not be tainted by that sin because of the bubble, if you will, of the Holy Spirit's protection around you. But if you stay in there and allow your attention to be turned away from God and stop trying to bring glory to God through your actions, then the potential comes for you to succumb to the temptations around you and to become tainted. Turn with me to James chapter 1. It's not in my notes, but James chapter 1, verse 27. James chapter 1, verse, verse 27 says, The religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this. One, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And two, to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. As Christians, there should never even be a hint of immorality about you. And pure religion in God's eyes is ministering to those in need and not being stained by the pollution that's in this world. That's what God sees as appropriate and right religion. Last one on this section, Hebrews chapter 6. We're talking about how much is too much. How much is too much? Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 6 says, For when people have, who have, once, for when people have once been enlightened tasted the heavenly gift, become sharers in the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit, and tasted the goodness of God's word and the powers of the Olam Haba, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them so that they turn from their sin as, lo as long as for themselves they keep executing the Son of God on the stake all over again and keep holding Him up to public contempt. What that's saying, folks, is that it is possible for a Christian to get themselves so entangled and enmeshed again in a sinful lifestyle that they no longer care and can no longer hear God's calling on them and they've lost their eternal hope. Because there is no more hope for them because the only hope we have is Jesus and if you've rejected that, then there's no hope. So what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, there is a potential, Christians, for you to allow sin into your life to the point where you could literally stop being a Christian. Now, you won't hear that preached in a lot of churches. That's a very clear Wesleyan, Arminian theology. But that's what I believe the, teach, the scriptures very clearly teach. Pure, unadulterated religion is to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. There is 
should be no hint of immorality in your life. And if you do allow it, there is potential that you literally could stop wanting to be in love with God and stop wanting to have relationship with Him. How can I know if I've gone too far? <sighs> There's a lot of anxiety in these thoughts, in these words. Oh God, be anxious for nothing. Matthew chapter 12, verse 21 through 32. It's up on the screen for you. And so I tell you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. There is one sin that cannot and will not be forgiven, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You will not get a clear definition from any from a, from a broad spectrum of theologians of what that is. You'll hear lots of different things. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to go over that. Because we don't have the time to go over that. But understand, there is a sin that you can commit that you will never be forgiven for. Oh, Pastor, you're making me scared because that means, oh my goodness, I can lose my salvation? I could, I could, oh my goodness, I could go to hell still? I thought I was safe. I thought I was secure. I'm going to go down to the Baptist church because I know they won't teach me this. <laughs> First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The only time that you are going to not receive that promise is if you curse God, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, what is sin? And I'm not trying to be unkind at all, believe me. I've talked about Roman Catholics, I've talked about the Orthodox, I've talked about Calvinists, and I am not saying anything against their theology, believe me. I honor and respect their theology. As a matter of fact, our theology is based on their theology. But just as, as we have looked at and talked this morning, there are, there are, there are levels. It's like, it's like peeling away an onion. It's like... How many of you have ever done like a, a, a decoupage with tissue paper? Okay? Where you, you put a, a piece of tissue, colored tissue on, and you put another colored tissue on, you put another colored tissue on, and you can see literally through the levels. And as you examine theologically sin, that's what we end up with. And that's why it was so hard at the beginning for you to give me a definite, yes, this is sin, no, this isn't sin. Well, it depends. Because there are some things that are sin, no questions. And to answer your question, the whole book is summed up in two things. Remember, we talked about the five books. Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, that says, do it all for the glory of God. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself, which is 1 James chapter 21, verse, and verse one, chapter 1, verse 27, that says, pure and unadulterated religion is this, to love your neighbor and to love God so much that you don't let yourself get stained by the world. See, that's the whole thing. If you want to live a pure, holy, righteous life before God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you, you show love, and you love God so much you don't let stains of sin come into your life. That's it. What is sin? Sin is willfully going against what you know to be God's law. It is not being a normal human being. It's not sinful to be a human. It is sinful to make bad choices. It is sinful to choose to do what you know you're not supposed to do or to not do what you know you're supposed to do. It is sinful to bring discredit to God and it is unforgivable to curse 
the Holy Spirit. So as long as you've never done that, there's still hope for you. You can ask for forgiveness. And He will forgive you. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yes, ma'am. I asked that question one time about, you know, if I had gone too far, the answer that my dad said is, as long as you are concerned and wanting to forgive, you have to cross that line. So would you say that doesn't matter? Okay, you said that when you asked the question about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, how would you know if you have or you haven't? And you were told that if you if you're if you're wanting forgiveness, if you're wanting the Lord, then you haven't crossed that line. If you're still wanting forgiveness, then you haven't crossed that line. So if you've crossed the line, you won't care anymore. If you still care, you haven't crossed the line. Okay. Sounds reasonable. I want to set my, my line, my fence up so I never get to that point. That's what the holy living is in my life. That's the idea of passing my hand through the liquid oxygen and not being harmed. I want to have the Holy Spirit bubble around me so big that there's ch- no chance for the enemy to ever get a dart through. You had your hand raised up? Yeah, so, like, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, that depends, I mean, well, not depends, but that is that for those who have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, for the Christians, you know, who, who I, I can't answer that question, especially right in this setting, because we just don't have time. But oh, okay. um, there, so that, okay. that would be that would be a community group discussion oh, in the okay. fall. <laughs> when we have our community groups in the fall, we we, we could do something like that and, and really chew on it a lot. Yes, ma'am. Bob, in James uh, four, the last uh, verse in that chapter, and this particular chapter is called "Things to Avoid." And that last verse says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Yes, exactly. It's, when, it's a hard thing. The closer we grow to God, the less that sin is going to entangle us and the more we're going to make those right choices and the quicker we're going to seek forgiveness when we know we've overstepped that line. Mm-hmm. And the closer we are to the Lord, the better we'll hear the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we'll know Amen. that we'll be put down. Amen. I want, to, I want to say one more thing, because I really feel badly, because I made a joke and I shouldn't have. Um, my wife and I lived in England for a number of years. And while we were in England, because of our circumstances, we couldn't attend a Nazarene church. And the closest church that we could find that was working for our family was a church called Friendship Baptist Church. And one of the things that we were concerned over was that our children would, quote-unquote, be tainted by that Baptist doctrine. And I really felt badly when I talked with the pastor about it because I could see the hurt in his face because he felt rejected by me when I said that to him. And I've really chewed on that for a long time over the last number of years. It's now been almost 20 years. And I need to, I need to say very clearly, as I've already said, but I want to say it one more time, our theology is not better than anybody else's theology. Our theology is what we have come to the understanding as we've studied scriptures. And it's just as valid as any other Christian's theology, as long as it's orthodox. Orthodox means it, it adheres to the ancient teachings of the church. There are Christians who are loving God and calling Him Lord and Savior, living as Lord and Savior, who say, I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. I struggle with that because of my understanding of Scripture, but that doesn't negate their understanding of Scripture, and it doesn't negate their theology. And as long as they're living their life in a way that brings honor and glory to God, and they keep themselves from sin, and they minister to the needs of the people around them, 
Who am I to say they're wrong and I'm right? Okay? Bottom line, what is sin? Sin is violating the law of love. If you love, if you choose to love in all circumstances, you will never, ever have God call you on it. He will never say you did anything wrong. And that's the challenge. Because there are times in my life when I just don't want to love. And I'll close with this. I can't tell you who, because it's inappropriate for me to tell you who. There's somebody in our community, you might know them. But I was listening to... I was listening to the radio the other day. And there was a preacher talking about dealing with people that you don't get along with. And the challenge that this preacher made at the end of their sermon was, I challenge you, talking to his congregation, I challenge you to intentionally go and do something to show love to the person that drives you crazy. And he said, I want, because he had already said to them, I want you to think of somebody that drives you crazy. And instantly, as I'm listening to that, instantly this person came to my mind. And he said, what do they do that drives you crazy? I said, he does this and he does that. And as he's saying all these things, and then finally he says, I challenge you, go out and do something loving for them this week. What could you do to show the love of God to them this week that would overcome that in your life? And I went, oh no God, no, no, I can't, no. And <laughs> I began praying and saying, God, I want to do what is right. I really do. But it's hard because I don't like the way this person responds to me. I don't like the way I feel around him. It really bothers me and it upsets me. And I want to do, but it is so difficult. And it's like oil and water whenever he and I are together, God. But I'll do it. Help me to show love to him in some form or fashion. And not a day later, this person walked into my life and put his hand on my shoulder and said, did you know that I love you? He must have been listening to the same sermon. And I just thought, thank you, God, because it healed something that was broken inside of me. And it will now make it much easier for me to show love. Because love begets love. And so I want to challenge you as you chew on this for the next week and think about what is sin and da da da. Don't focus on not sinning, focus on loving. Because as I said, if you don't violate the law of love, you haven't sinned. So if you love in all circumstances, God will never call you on it. Let's pray. I love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. Help me to love my neighbor as myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.